Hello, and welcome to the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and he doesn't have much time because later tonight, He's performing a set at the Tropicana Club. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Hey. Rod, my friend, how are you? Hi, Shai. How are you? I only have a few minutes before I have to get to the club. A big set tonight, Rod. A big set, yeah. So, Rod, <laughs> you know, I was thinking, because of all the wisdom and all of the knowledge that we drop for every episode, a lot of people, they think that we're a lot older than we are. They think maybe we were around in the 50s and the 60s to watch television. But both of us are pretty young, and we didn't get to experience television in the 50s and 60s live. So I was just wondering, Rod, how did you consume your 50s and 60s television growing up? I consumed a lot of 50s, 60s, and possibly even some 70s TV through the magic of Nick at Night. Nick at Night. Me too, Rod. What do you know? Are there any uh, television shows in particular that you enjoyed on Nick and Night? And just for anyone out there who doesn't remember what Nick and Night was, basically on Nickelodeon in the evening time, once the kids were put to bed, they used to put classic television shows on, shows from the 50s and 60s, black and white sometimes. Were there any shows in particular that you were really fond of? Yeah, I definitely had my favorites on Nick at Night. I used to, I loved F Troop. Right, F Troop, um, sure. I used to love Bewitched. I used to watch a lot of the Patty Duke show and Donna Reed. I watched Donna the, Reed. Like, yeah, those are like the ones that stick out. My three sons also, but the, yeah, pretty much all the old classics. Yeah. My go-to was definitely Get Smart with- uh, oh, Yeah, Get Smart was fantastic. Don Adams and Barbara Feldon, Agent yeah. 99, Agent 86. That's... I also liked a little bit of Dragnet with uh, Joe Friday. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was some good stuff. So yeah. yeah so. Yeah. So for everybody out there, we weren't around in the 50s and 60s, so we had to consume all of this on Nick at Night. We had to spend extra time at night to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. No, um, not at all. Well, anyway, here we are once again with another great episode of the Asta La Visa Baby podcast. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to depart from our normal format. So we've been getting a lot of questions about the basics of immigration. What is a citizen? What's a green card holder? What's a visa? Why would somebody ever even need a visa? So we put our heads together and we thought to ourselves, let's do an immigration 101. Let's get back to basics. But what we're going to do here is we're going to do this with a twist. We're not just going to lecture you about the basics of immigration. You can go to any continuing legal education class for that. That's not what we're about. We want to do this with some fun. We want to jazz it up. So what Rod and I have decided to do is we're going to provide a crash course on some basic immigration concepts through the lens of iconic characters in the 1950s classic television show, I Love Lucy. That's right. Yeah, we're gonna have some fun with I Love Lucy. For anybody out there who's not aware of this all-time classic television show, the television show that set the bar for everything else and on television, Rod, do you wanna give everybody a little bit of a background about what this show means and what it's all about? Sure. So. I Love Lucy ran on, on CBS from 1951 to 1957 and followed the lives of a married couple, Lucy and Ricky Ricardo. Lucy was played by Lucille Ball. 
And Ricky was played by her real life husband, Desi Arnaz. Lucy is an American from New York and Ricky is Cuban from Havana. They live in an apartment in New York and the show follows, you know, the show centered around their relationship between the two of them, as well as their friendships with their landlord neighbors, which is an older couple named Fred and Ethel Mertz. Ricky works as a band leader at the Tropicana nightclub and Lucy is a stay-at-home wife. The two you know, engage in all sorts of uh, hilarious shenanigans, uh, usually involving lots of physical comedy. And many of the plots specifically revolve around Lucy trying to horn her way into Ricky's nightclub act, in which she's generally not a fan of. You know, she's still, I don't know, maybe by modern standards, a little bit ho- a little bit bored at home and is looking to try to branch out and get into uh, entertainment a little bit. For its time, it was the most watched uh, television series in the U.S. for four out of its six seasons. It's generally regarded as one of the greatest and one of the most influential sitcoms in TV history. And one little factoid that I believe I read about this is it's one of very few shows to actually go off the air at the top of its fame. Seinfeld is another one, but very few shows have actually done this to go off the air when they're sort of at the at the top of the at the top of the heap. But, you know, Shai, you and I have been catching up a little bit on episodes of this show, and we sort of realized that this is kind of the blueprint for the modern sitcom. It definitely is. There's so many things in this show, which I feel shows that followed took from it. Uh, Besides the physical comedy, the running gag of how their apartment door is always open for anybody to enter at all times. And we saw that on Friends. We saw that on Seinfeld. We saw that on Three's Company. That's just... Classic, classic right, yeah, television. It, it, never lock funny. your door in New York. Never, never lock your in New York City. Yeah, just one thing that I had never realized until I was watching it. You know, revisiting it now, it's like these people are not just their neighbors randomly walking into their apartment regularly, mind you, like almost every day. But this is their landlord, Fred and Ethel. Like, I would not abide my landlord just wandering in whenever he felt like <laughs> you know he wanted to come in to hang out with me. I feel like we're getting really close to a landlord-tenant law episode. That's right. And, we'll uh, to, yeah. we, we might uh, spin that off. We might talk to our real estate department about doing that. <laughs> Fred and Ethel, they might have some uh, things to think about. Might have um, some but claims. Yeah. We're going to try to stick to immigration. But do you have any standout memories or episodes from this show? Because there's so many classics. The one thing that really stands out to me, I know that it's out there in the zeitgeist and everybody's seen this one, but the one when they work at the chocolate company. Of course. And the chocolates are running down the line and they fall behind and they, and they, <laughs> Ethel is stuffing them into her mouth and Lucy is stuffing them into her shirt. It like Lucy pulls the chocolates off of the line and tosses them into her shirt or stuffs them into her hat with this, like just immense, perfect comedic precision. We were talking about this before. One thing that I had not realized and only truly appreciated in rewatching it was like the mastery of Lucy, Lucille Ball's physical comedy in this show is she is amazing. She's really, really impressive. Definitely. It brings a smile to my face when you just talk about that scene with the chocolate. I'm partial to an episode where uh, Fred and Ricky take Lucy and Ethel golfing because the girls really want to go golfing and they don't want them to go golfing. So what they do is they teach them a completely insane, wacky way to play golf. It's hilarious. The physical comedy is incredible. So for everybody out there. Yeah. That episode specifically when he teaches her how to hold hold the the golf club and she has to like prop herself up on it. And lean on. I mean, and, and that that's available. I mean, I've been watching the episodes on on Hulu. Yep, I've been um, watching on YouTube. That specific scene, just I love Lucy golfing, 
her doing the golf and doing the holding on to the club and following the steps that he gave her, these bizarre thing where she has to lean on it. And she does it three or four times over the course of their, their game and does it like reenacts and it's incredible it perfectly every time she's yeah she's just fantastic and, yeah. and and hilarious the face the facial expressions that she makes yeah the weird way she has to like do these weird contortions and stuff she's just fantastic if anybody out there is wary about watching old television this is a great show to watch you're not going to regret yeah. it so for anybody who yeah. hasn't seen the show it's amazing and just for some interesting facts about the show for everybody out there during the course of its run it won five emmy awards in 2012, it was voted the best TV show of all time in a survey conducted by ABC News and People magazine. In 1952, when Lucille Ball was pregnant, her pregnancy was incorporated into the show. However, CBS did not allow the word pregnancy to be used. So typically, the word expecting was used instead. I guess that's a sign of the times. The apartment building where Lucy and Ricky lived, it was supposed to be on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And get this, Rod, they rented it for $105 a month. Now, I did the calculations. I went on to the um, inflation calculator, and that still only comes out to $1,042 a month. So try to find a two-bedroom apartment on the Upper East Side for $1,042 a month. They live in a, a decently sized two-bedroom. Like It's a pretty comfortably yeah. sized apartment. It's nice. Yeah, it doesn't um, have the open concept that we're looking for in today's day and age, you know. but right. it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. So what we want to do with this episode is we want to learn a little bit about some basic immigration concepts through the characters in the show. So to do this, we're going to focus specifically on Lucy and Ricky. So Rod... First, can you give the characters a breakdown of the character known as Lucy McGillicuddy Ricardo? Sure. So again, the character of Lucy, played by Lucille Ball. In the show, it comes out that she was born and raised in the town of West Jamestown, New York, to an American family of Scottish descent. And Lucille Ball was originally from the town of Jamestown, New York. It's partially autobiographical. She's a probably and most likely uh, the most famous redheaded character in the history of television there's some inconsistency in the show as to how she met ricky and and they got together uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more but uh, she's supposed to be probably in her early 30s when the show starts again she's uh, what they used to call at the time a homemaker she, she was a stay-at-home wife and later in the show they have a child lucy is always trying to become famous, always trying to break out, and is always trying to get into uh, Ricky's nightclub act, always trying to get into his show, always coming up with schemes and ideas to do it. She really has no real talent, although she tries. You know, there's plenty of singing, dancing, playing of musical instruments on the show. None of it very good, but all of it, you know, comedy gold. She's generally not fond, nor am I, of cooking, cleaning, uh, homemaking. That stuff is not appealing to her, and I don't blame her for that at all. Uh, <laughs> she's always kind of getting into trouble. She has a big, she has a, a big habit of meddling in other people's lives. It's always getting her into some some level of, of low level trouble. But she's always getting into trouble also with her best friend Ethel, who's yeah who's the landlord and neighbor. I didn't realize I have something really in common with Lucy. I too. I'm trying to break out and become a superstar and famous. There you I go. didn't and know that until just now, but me and Lucy, Lucy and I, we have a lot in common. Wow. How do you feel about cooking and cleaning and that sort of stuff? I'm big into cooking. Uh, the cleaning, okay. the cleaning has to be done. It has to be done. Right. There's no way around sure. it, but I do love yeah. the cooking actually. There you um, go. Now I have a lot in common with Lucy, but you might have a little bit more in common with Mr. Ricky Ricardo. So Rod, we're also going to be talking about Ricky. So right. let's get into who Ricky Ricardo is. So can so you get into the breakdown? Yeah, so let's talk about Enrique Alberto Fernando 
Iracha, otherwise known as Ricky, Ricardo the Third. Wow. The character known as Ricky Ricardo uh, was played by Desi Arnaz, and he was a Cuban born. In the beginning of the series, series, he's kind of a struggling band and orchestra leader. He performs at the Tropicana Club in Manhattan. Later on in the series, he kind of progresses in his career. He ends up owning the club, and he calls it the Club Babalu. And Ricky really just wants a nice, quiet life at home. And he wants Lucy to be a calm, kind of ordinary person, which she is not. She's always trying to infiltrate his show, as we said, always unsuccessfully, sometimes causes some trouble for him. And and most of his time at home is spent trying to clean up Lucy's messes, keep her in check. Sometimes he ends up just making things worse. Sometimes he ends up fixing the problems. Sometimes he does a little bit of uh, kind of nefarious stuff on his own. He likes to play pranks on Lucy as well. He's best friends with the landlord and, and neighbor Fred, who's Ethel's husband. The four of them are spend a lot of time together in every episode. There's a lot of humor directed in the show towards his Cuban accent. The whole famous, you know, Lucy, I'm home and Junito's playing, that sort of stuff. A lot of laughs at his accent. Lucy and the rest of the cast are always having fun with that. They're always mimicking him and and there's a lot of jokes around that. But he is generally always depicted as pretty loving and supportive of Lucy. He's not a fan of her desire to perform, but he's generally, even by modern standards, perhaps generally supportive of her. It's kind of like our relationship um, a little bit. You know, you're not always happy with my shenanigans and my performing. I drive you a little bit crazy, but at the end of the day, we really do get along. We sure do. We sure do. And I've been skirting around the issue a little bit, but there's something that you and Ricky Ricardo have in common that a lot of people might not know about. So exactly besides the conga drum expertise, what is it that you and Ricky have in common? It's not just a love of Latin music. And Um, your incredibly good looks and charm. Exactly. I mean, we do. We I am mistaken for Ricky Ricardo very often. My father was born in Havana, Cuba. I am half Cuban. I share, to a certain extent, heritage with Ricky Ricardo slash Desi Arnaz. In preparation for this for this episode, I had a conversation with my father. Everything I know, almost everything I know about Cuba, was just you know stuff that he's told me over the course of my life. And I asked about Desi Arnaz. I love Lucy. What is the Cuban? What was the Cuban view? He was living in Cuba at the time the show was on. Your was father on TV. was in Cuba yeah. when the show was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I mean, he was born in Havana, and, right. he, and he he came to the United States in the in the early 1960s. I asked about the show, and I said, you know, what was the Cuban view of of I Love Lucy and and of Desi Arnaz, and you know, what was the thinking there? And his response was kind of, you know, he said that as far as he knew, he does not remember anything about I Love Lucy. He only heard of I Love Lucy and of Desi Arnaz once he was in the United States where people would say, hey, you remind me of Desi Arnaz. And he would say, who is this guy? So like he, father, uh, like son. Like, that's right. <laughs> and interestingly enough, you know, I, I said, well, is it possible that that the show ever could have aired and you didn't know? And he said, well, you know, knowing what I know about the show, it likely wouldn't have done very well in Cuba because he said, you know, the, the comedy is very American comedy, not harshly, but definitely at the Cuban guy's expense. And Cubans probably wouldn't have liked that. I mean, one of the big jokes in the show is that every time Ricky gets angry, he goes off on a tirade in Spanish. He does. And the tirade, if you can understand Spanish, the tirade is very mundane because of course it's CBS in the 1950s. His tirades are just usually repeating whatever the conversation is that's happening. He usually repeats the previous line just in Spanish, but he does it in a very animated way. To Cubans, that wouldn't be funny at all because- So last time I'm going to make fun of a Cuban accent and um, <laughs> the next, the next so, time you go off in one of your Cuban 
Spanish tirades. I'm just going to leave it alone. I won't say yeah, it. When, when I just, yeah, when I just rant in Spanish. <laughs> so now let's get into our Immigration 101. It's time All to right. get to basics. Let's, let's, let's uh, brush up on our own immigration skills and, and okay. knowledge. So the first question is going to be, what is a U.S. citizen? A lot of people want to know, what, what is, what's the big deal about being a U.S. citizen? Some people say it's the be-all and end-all. Some people don't. I'm not mm -hmm. going to give my opinion, but I'm going to tell everybody what being a U.S. citizen is all about. All right. So there are several different paths to becoming a U.S. citizen. The most common, which is being born in the U.S., and this is known as birthright citizenship, which is something that is guaranteed by the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. So basically- now, just Oh, you're sorry, born. just to jump in. Yeah. Just to jump in real quick. You know, this is, yeah, if you're you're born in the United States, you're born on U.S. soil, including Hawaii. And Alaska. Alaska and Puerto Rico. You are born a U.S. citizen. And this, there's a Latin term for this. And since we spent so much money on three years of law school. Yes, we did. We have to use these Latin terms because we have to make, we have to get every penny out of that tuition. The term here is jus soli, which is the right of land, essentially. So both of us have been born in the United States, so we have the right of land or use solely. Right. Yeah. So citizenship can also be attained when a U.S. citizen parent passes down the citizenship to children born outside of the U.S. Another way to acquire citizenship is by something called naturalization, which basically entails the application of a, a legal immigrant, usually after spending a specific amount of time as a green card holder. Two concepts, really, just to jump in again with more Latin phrases. Keep jumping in. We are lawyers and we love to do this. We, we love life. This seemed simple, so I need to complicate it with some with some Latinate terms. There's the, the use soli, which is the land, and then the citizenship through your parents is called use sanguinis, which is My goodness. Uh, the right of blood. Are you going to teach a Latin course after this? We will, uh, for those who want to stick around afterwards. And just to jump in real quickly, the concept of naturalization, right? naturalization is actually a, a scientific and a botany term. Oh my goodness. Naturalization is when you take a plant from one environment and set its roots in a new environment. So this concept is actually sort of almost a philosophical idea. Naturalization is when you take something out of its native environment and plant it firmly and permanently in a new environment, which is really... It makes, makes perfect sense. And, and that's exactly what the concept is. It's for somebody who wasn't native to the United States and they become native, the transferring mm -hmm. of, of a plant from soil to soil. Very right. nice. And you put your roots down when you, when you get here. It's incredible. And, and when you put your roots down, there are rights, duties, and benefits that come with U.S. citizenship. So whether you're born a U.S. citizen or you acquire it through your parents or you naturalize, there's rights to being a U.S. citizen. And some of those rights include you have the right to reside and work in the U.S. You have the freedom to enter and leave the U.S. basically as you please. You have the right to vote and you have the freedom to hold public office. These are all some uh, nice things. Mm -hmm. You also have duties that you have as a U.S. citizen. It's not all fun and games. Jury duty, your favorite paying taxes, Sure. And in the past, military service. Right now, we don't have conscription or a draft, but in the past, we have. And U.S. citizens were subject to military service. So it's not all fun and games. There's also duties. And then there's benefits. There's always benefits to being a citizen. And some of those benefits include consular protection outside the United States. So if you're outside of the United States and you get into some trouble, as you and I have both known to get into, you know, we just go to the U.S. embassy. We, they take us in and, right. and we can get protected. 
They do a fantastic job. They get you out of a lot of serious jams. So yeah. much, so many jams. You can tra you can transmit U.S. citizenship to children born abroad. You're protected against deportation. So you can commit crimes galore. I'm not saying you should, but if you do, right. you're not getting deported. You go to jail, but you're not getting deported. That's right. So when it comes to citizenship, let's apply it to the show I Love Lucy. So Rod, okay. in, in our show I Love Lucy, we're talking about Lucy and we're talking about Ricky. So who's our U.S. citizen? I'm going to go with Lucy. Let's there you go. Lucy first. I mean, she she supposedly was born in West Jamestown, New York, in right. the United States, right? This is easy, sort of a slam dunk question, right? I mean, she was born in the U.S. We can just assume she acquired U.S. citizenship through birth. Like you pointed out, she can live and work anywhere in the United States or not work at all, as <laughs> as is the case in the show. Yeah. And um, she can also sponsor relatives. Let's, for example, if she marries uh, a foreign national, she can sponsor interesting, for, interesting. Uh, for permanent residence. Yeah. So for everybody out there, the next time you're thinking of a U.S. citizen, just think to I Love Lucy and think of Lucy with those chocolates, stuffing mm -hmm. them down her shirt, eating them. That's what a U.S. citizen can and will do and should be able to do without any consequences. That's right. And in the hierarchy of legal immigration classification, citizenship is basically the ultimate, the highest level. There's nothing above it. Citizenship is the creme de la creme. Yeah, it comes essentially with, without immigration-based restrictions, right? right? I mean, there, right. there's no limit. There's no time limitation on it. It never needs to be renewed. Once yeah. you're in, you're in. You're in. You're in the club. And so that's it. If citizenship is the highest level of legal immigrant status in the United States, then let's talk about the lowest level, which is a visa holder. So many people want to know, what is a visa? Why does somebody even need a visa? So basically, this is the way it works when it comes to a visa. Anybody who is not a U.S. citizen and is not a green card holder is going to need a visa or some type of visa status in order to enter the U.S. in a legal capacity. So that's just how you have to look at it. You're not born in the U.S., you're not a citizen, you're not a green card holder, you need a visa or some sort of visa status. And Rod, I believe there's a few different types of visas, so we don't want to get into the real specifics. That's for some of the other episodes we do. We just want to talk about some flavors here. What are some of the visas that there are, that are out there? Sure. So some of the visas, they sort of run the gamut of all the range of activities that somebody would want to come to the United States to engage in. So things like there are tourist visas, there are business visitor visas, there are employment-based visas. There are also visas for people seeking uh, protection from oppressive uh, governments abroad. There are lots of different visas for individuals who are, who are seeking to come to the United States. Everybody out there, just remember, you're not a U.S. citizen, you're not a green card holder, you need a visa to come and do Correct. basically anything in the United States. Um, Generally. Almost all visas, they have a time limit for how long you can remain in the United States. A visa is not a permanent thing. That's very important to remember. Some visas can be applied for by yourself on your own. Some visas, such as tourist visas or business visitor visas, um, those are the types of visas that you could be applying on your own. But there are also visas that require a sponsor, such as an employment-based visa. And again, the bottom line, you're not born in the U.S., you're not a citizen, you're not a green card holder, you need a visa. So let's have some fun with I Love Lucy, and let's talk about the application of visa necessity to our boy, Ricky Ricardo. All right. So I'll just start it off by mentioning that Ricky was born in Cuba, a foreign country, and therefore, in order for him to get to the U.S., he would have needed a visa. 
Now, a lot of people out there are going to say, oh, but shy, Cuba is a special country. They have special circumstances. It's not like all other countries. Okay, I know this. But for the purpose of this exercise, let's forget about the fact that there are special rules for Cubans when it comes to immigration. Let's keep it simple. And we're going to just treat Cuba as any foreign country that the U.S. has diplomatic relationships with. I think in a future episode, we'll probably talk about special Cuban circumstances. We'll talk about Scarface. Tony Montoya. Yeah. But for this episode. I can't wait for that episode. Oh, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, (laughs) We're talking about the real Cuban-American experience when we talk about Scarface. Scarface is my favorite documentary. (laughs) Who who could argue with that? So (laughs) let's talk a little bit about uh, Ricky Ricardo and what kind of visa he would have needed in order to enter the U.S. Mm -hmm. So in the show... There's some inconsistency with how Ricky and Lucy met, how he came into the U.S. In season four of the show, it's established that Lucy met Ricky in New York on a blind date. So Ricky was already in the United States. But then in 1957, there's an episode and the story changes significantly. There's a flashback episode where uh, Lucy actually met Ricky in 1940 when she was vacationing to Havana with the Mertzes on a cruise ship. And according to this plot line, Lucy fell in love with Ricky in Cuba and arranged for Ricky to audition for popular singer Rudy Valle, who was also on the cruise. Apparently, Rudy Valle hires Ricky, which allowed Ricky to emigrate to the U.S. to perform in his band. So I believe it's, it's generally Valle. What do I know? I'm just a gringo. Yeah. You have to correct he didn't, me. He didn't park cars. <laughs> 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 so so thanks for correcting me um, no worries whichever plot line you want to go with it appears that uh, ricky got to the u.s via an employer-sponsored visa if we are analyzing what type of visa he would have needed by 2021 standards our guess is it might have been an 01 extraordinary ability visa but that's not important if you're curious about 01s you can listen to episode two where we go into detail on one visa. Exactly, exactly. But whatever the case may be, as a foreign national who was not a U.S. citizen and was not a green card holder, in order for Ricky to live and work in the U.S., as we see him doing on the show, he would have needed a visa. So, Rod, you agree that Ricky probably got to the U.S. with an employment-based visa, whether you go with plot line A or plot line B. But still, most important thing, he needed a visa. He needed a visa. So Ricky Ricardo started his life in the United States on the bottom rung of legal immigration status, meaning he was a visa holder. Mm -hmm. So now we've spoken about citizens. We've spoken about visa holders. And now let's talk about kind of the middle tier. And the middle tier of status in the United States is what's known as a lawful permanent resident or as more commonly known, a green card holder. So, Rod, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what a green card holder is, what it means, and just, you know, some of the fun facts. Yeah, sure. A green card or what we call, uh, you know, lawful permanent resident status, to be technical about it. But a green card allows someone who's not a U.S. citizen to live and work permanently in the United States. And that is important. Lawful permanent resident status. You know, like we said, a citizen can come and go as they please. Green card holders, it's a little different. They're expected to remain here permanently. There are a few different ways you can get a green card. One is through family sponsorship. One is through employment sponsorship. Refugees and asylees also qualify. Uh, Human trafficking and crime victims. And there's also something called the diversity lottery, where people just sort of throw their names in a hat 
and green cards are, are handed out on that basis. A couple of the benefits of being a green card holder as compared to a visa holder specifically is you can live in the US wherever you like, you can move around easily, you can work in the US legally wherever you want and for whomever you want, where visa-based employment is generally employer generally employer specific. And then traveling in and out of the US is is generally easier for a green card holder, but there are some restrictions on it, uh, right. especially with respect to the time spent outside. Those are the benefits. Some of the limitations are that green card holders cannot vote in the US in elections. The commission of certain crimes can lead to losing the green card. That can happen also with the visa. But again, you pointed out, Shai, earlier, that doesn't happen with citizenship. You know, you can become a citizen and commit crimes galore. Green card holders generally are precluded from uh, holding public office. I alluded to this just a second ago. Any excessive time spent out of the US without some sort of special permission could potentially lead to someone losing their green card. So, right. so you know, there basically, are some limitations on international travel there. Like we said, the green card is in the middle of being a visa holder and being a citizen. You don't have all the freedoms of being a citizen, but you certainly have more freedoms and more rights than you do if you were just a visa holder. And mm -hmm. depending upon what type of green card category one is in, after a certain amount of time of being a green card holder, one can apply for citizenship which is really important. Some people go from visa holder to green card holder to US citizen. It's climbing uh, the ladder. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the application of a uh, green card or, or legal permanent residency to Ricky Ricardo. So in my opinion, Ricky would have probably had two paths to a green card. One would have been the employment-based sponsorship through the Tropicana Club, or path number two would have been a family marriage-based sponsorship via his marriage to Lucy, a US citizen. Agree with that? Agreed. Absolutely. Those are those easiest two paths for him. Yeah. Right. So he he was in a good situation because he probably had two paths. And if Ricky received a green card through family sponsorship, which would basically require Lucy to file a marriage-based petition and application for him, you go through the process, you go through a marriage interview. We'll talk about this on another episode, but Lucy could have sponsored him for a green card. And after three years of being a green card holder, he could have applied for citizenship as long as certain other requirements were met. These immigration principles they weren't discussed on the show, but our guess is that Ricky would have probably have been a green card holder or a citizen when we saw him on the show. And again, he probably started off at the bottom as a visa holder. He probably worked his way up through green card holder. And then I think at the end, when we actually see him on the show, it's quite probable that he was a U.S. citizen. So Ricky Ricardo is a great example of the American dream. You start off from the bottom and you build your way all the way to the top. Let's say the Tropicana had sponsored him for a green card and he had done employment-based sponsorship. How many years would he have had to be a lawful permanent resident before he was eligible for citizenship in that context? Imagine you had asked me this question and I didn't know the answer. That would be pretty embarrassing, but I do know the answer. I, and then, I, would, have, I would have bailed you out and I'd never <laughs> ask you. We're lawyers. Do we ever lawyers. ask a question? Do we ever ask oh, a question that we don't already know the and, answer to? Inherently, we know everything. So yeah. the answer is... <laughs> The answer is actually five years. So exactly. um, not really sure why if you have to wait five years for an employment-based green card versus the three years for a marriage-based green card. Something that maybe somebody out there wants to write an email to baby at gibney.com and tell us why. We'd love your, your feedback. Send emails. Send emails. Well, <laughs> I Love Lucy is not just a show that teaches us about U.S. immigration, although that was probably the purpose of the show, but it's also considered... <laughs> It's also considered to be one of the 
greatest shows of all time. It's consistently ranked as one of the greatest shows ever made. So for some reason, Rod, when these lists are made, nobody has ever consulted with us. I don't understand why. I'm a little pissed off about it, but sure. I thought that this was a good uh, venue, a good avenue, a good medium for us to talk about what we think the greatest shows of all time were. Sure, so, our unsolicited opinions. Right, I, unsolicited. Know, <laughs> um, which is really what this podcast is all about. <laughs> so we haven't <laughs> we haven't spoken about this with each other. So I thought that each of us were going to give our top three shows of all time. We're going to see if there's any overlap. So why don't you start with your number one favorite show of all time? Go. <sighs> so you had mentioned that we would be talking about the three shows, kind of an impossibility. But I will say, I think maybe the show that really just got me and I have been thinking about since I ever saw it, HBO's The Wire. Wow. I, I really do. I really do. That show just hooked me and I have watched, I've gone through the whole series twice and everything about that show to me is impressive. Every actor in the show is fantastic. It's a fun, intriguing police legal crime thriller. It's just through and through. Fantastic. The Wire. The Wire is number two on my list. So I knew that there was <laughs> going to be, I knew there was going to be overlap the Wire teaches us that there are no good guys and there are no bad guys. We're right. all a product of circumstance. And right. um, it yeah. really opens your eyes to the fact that what you're born into and where you're born uh, means a lot. So it's mm -hmm. an incredible show. If anybody hasn't seen The Wire, what a drama, what a show. For me, it's the number two show of all time, very close to number one. So let me share my number one with you. Yeah, what was your number one? My number one is a show that I never felt such an emotional connection to. I was on the edge of my seat every time I watched an episode, and that's Breaking Bad. Uh, uh, okay. I, I never yeah. watched a show where I was so connected to the characters, where I was watching the show, and the stories just made me feel so much. I, I hated some of the characters. I loved some of the characters. I was just on the edge of my seat. The show ran for the perfect amount of time. It was five seasons. They didn't go overboard. It was just incredible, an incredible ride. So yeah. Breaking Bad is my number one of all time. And Breaking Bad, similar show in that there's a lot of mixed motivations and a lot of good people doing bad things, bad people doing good things. Again, everyone's a victim of circumstance. Yeah. That's, what's, uh, what's your number two? I don't know that I, I specifically had number two, but again, I, I had a lot of difficulty. The first show that really stuck out to me again, Wire. So number two might be a little simplistic and other people might, but I'm going to go with the comedy for number two. And it's the show that might be for me the most rewatchable show, which is Seinfeld. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm okay. Just, I'm just going to go with it. I, I know it's a pretty... It's a pretty obvious answer. Hey, it was, it was number one for years. I think yeah. that there's nothing wrong with saying Seinfeld. I live in New York. I love living in New York. That show speaks to me. It spoke to me before I moved here. I'm not going to say it's one of the draws, <laughs> but I think just for rewatchability, I could sit down anytime and watch, even if I've seen it 300 times, I could watch an episode of Seinfeld. De so, def yeah. Definitely a hilarious I, I, show. We went over my number two, which was uh, The Wire. So my yeah. number three, there's so many options. Uh, I didn't know what to choose. You've got The Sopranos. There's a show on HBO called Succession that I think if it gets a little bit more time, that's going to get up there. There's Mad Men. But I'm feeling a little silly. I'm feeling in the comedic mood today. So I'm going to go with, and it might change tomorrow, but for today, I'm going to say The Office. I'm going to say The ah, Office is okay. my number three. It's just hilarious. The physical comedy in that show also, just like I Love Lucy, incredible. 
So now, are, Shai, are you referring, let's just be, are you referring to the UK original office or the US office? I'm not that or hipster. I'm not that hipster. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to refer. I did used to live in Brooklyn. I do live on the east side of LA, but I'm going with the, yeah. U, the US version of uh, the office. I'm not going to go with the UK version. Just to make sure that everybody understands that Shai really truly is a caricature. He moved from Williamsburg <laughs> to Silver Lake. So if, <laughs> there if those you go. two neighborhoods mean anything to anyone listening, that <laughs> that's is, me. Uh, that's, that's shy. Me. That's <laughs> and he claims he's not that hipster, uh, <laughs> but so, Hey, whatever I'll jump in. Uh, so my third, like you said, shy, I agree with you. I, I, I feel the same way. My top three shows would change on a daily basis. I'm going to go. I know you, you went U S for the office. I'm going to go UK for, oh my third show and that is fleabag from amazon prime wow fleabag i it's on my list i haven't seen it yet you gotta watch it it is one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life it wow. is phoebe waller bridge who is an absolute genius this i'm gonna show check it out is, i'm gonna check got, it out you, you will absolutely love it and i i can't recommend it enough to anybody listening if you haven't seen it go do it just some some final takeaways from i love lucy I think the show holds up by modern standards. There's generally you know, yeah. there's some there's some things that are a little outdated. You know, there's some things or that very outdated, very but, outdated. Yeah. There's some culturally <laughs> inappropriate jokes, yeah. but it's the 1950s, yeah. and you can't judge things from the 1950s by 2021 standards. Right, right. But the show is generally inoffensive, largely. There's uh, some you know awkward circumstances, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just funny. It's it a really funny is. show. And yeah. and speaking of funny, I think Lucille Ball was one of the greatest physical comedians of all time. I mean, yeah. her physical comedy, like we alluded to before, just top notch. Really, the, the amount of the heavy lifting that she does for this show, she essentially carries the show. Everyone around her is playing sort of a straight character while she is. She's incredible. She's delivering the bulk of the comedy in every episode. Every episode. It, it, yeah, it's fantastic. I have, yeah. I have a question with you. What's the deal sure. with married couples on TV shows in the 50s sleeping in separate twin beds in the same bedroom? I think it was just a TV thing, a TV propriety thing. Probably. They, just did not want to, they didn't want to depict it. They didn't want to come off as being, you know, I, I think it was an uncomfortable. Too, too racy. Yeah, too racy. Too um, racy. The interesting thing I found about I Love Lucy is they're in twin beds that are pushed together. So it's like a big as I was but watching the show, at different points in the show, they're further apart or closer together. together. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. As far as fashion is concerned, what's the deal with Fred tucking his tie into his pants? It's a choice like any other, and it's do, fantastic. Do you think that that? Do you think we can get that back into style? I mean, you're a fashion icon. If you went around the office in New York with your tie tucked in your pants, do you think within six months everybody on Fifth Avenue would be tie tucked? Let's call it tie tucked. Assuming Gibney continued my employment <laughs> right. after the, after the tie uh, after, thing. Uh, after yeah, this uh, podcast, after this podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a, first of all, when I tie my tie, it doesn't go down that far. I can't tuck it in because I, my tie ends, yeah. ends right there at the, at the belt. So right. I, I mean, I would have difficulty with it, but you can uh, you hike know, up hey, the it, pants, you can hike up the pants. Yeah, so that's that Fred's pants go much higher than much higher. Generally do that's how it was. Yeah, the style like, is different. The cut, the cut of the pants is definitely different. Very but, different. Um, you know, we could talk men's fashions all day. All day, just like Hans Gruber. Um, just like Hans. My biggest takeaway is if Kennedy, Khrushchev, and Castro 
got together. They watched I Love Lucy on a weekly basis. In my opinion, the whole Cuban Missile Crisis, the whole Cold War animosity could have been avoided. There's nothing that sure. brings people together like comedy. I agree. I agree. But it could also have gone the other way. It might have just ended everything. You if know, only we had a time machine and we could have. We if could only have we had a time machine, but it, it'd be interesting. I'd be. I'd love to know what what their what their take on the show would have been. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out one day with some scientific breakthrough. In the meantime, while we're trying to do that scientific breakthrough of going back in time and reliving uh, the past, if you have not done so already, we're urging you, we're pleading with you, please <laughs> subscribe to the podcast and rate us. <laughs> That's right. It's not just going to help us, but it'll help you. You'll feel better about yourself once you subscribe and rate us. There's nothing like giving your opinion about things. So That's right. So rate us. Yeah. We can be found on all the major podcast streaming platforms, all of them. So wherever yep. you get your podcast, just uh, go for it. Subscribe. That's right. Rod, we love to hear from people, right? Yes, we do. And, and how can we hear from them? People can email us at astalavisa at gibney.com. That's H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y.com. And if you, address. yeah, if you email us and you give us a suggestion for what movie or what television show you want to see, and we like your suggestion, we might send you an Asta La Visa Baby t-shirt. We might give you a shout out. There might be all kinds of Asta La Visa Baby merchandise coming down the pipe. Absolutely. We have been in discussions. So. Yes, there are discussions being held with a number of high, high level retailers. So next time we're going to be getting back to our normal format. And we're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite characters, and that's going to be Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers trilogy. All right, uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, Dr. Evil. I think he has some investor visa issues going, but we'll talk about that. We'll figure out how did he get to the United States. We'll walk you through it. We'll walk you through it. So this was a lot of fun. We got to revisit some 1950s television. This was our first television show that we've done. A lot that's more right. coming. It's time that we say our famous last words. Rod, until next time. Hasta la vista, baby. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>